Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Try Faster podcast presented by the Fort Worth Tri Club, where we dive into triathlon-specific training and coaching and discuss current triathlon news and races. Most recently, this last weekend, we had the Ironman World Championships going on in Kona. The men and women split up amongst two different days. We have a whole lot to cover on that front. It was a very exciting couple of days of racing to watch. Um, and um, most recently, uh, I completed the Chicago Marathon just two days ago. So I'm going to fill you in on everything, um, my entire experience about that weekend. Um, but with me today and as every day is my coach, Keith Kotar. How are you doing, Keith? Pretty good. Excited to talk about all the races this last weekend. Yeah, tons of races. You directed your own race as well. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. We had a, a kids triathlon at our our home training YMCA here in uh, Benbrook and went off really well. We had about 60 kids and uh, nobody got hurt. Nobody got lost. Everything went, went pretty smoothly. So we started on time. Uh, race started right at eight o'clock and I think uh, I was done everybody was done cleaning up and we were out of there by, by 10 30. So it was nice and efficient. And, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to, to doing it again next year. How many, uh, how many races have you directed? This was the first one as the, the main oh. person. So, okay. Yeah. I'm pretty sure to... not losing people is not, not a major accomplishment. <laughs> I, I didn't mean that, I, you know, that that sense. I meant that the uh, course is well enough marked that everybody appeared to go the correct direction. Yes, yeah, that's what I thought you meant. But still, also not one of the major accomplishments for most race directors, I don't think. But very good job for not losing any of the kids. Yeah, we were we were happy with it. <laughs> that's, that's that's a funny way to describe it. Um. So what what are we going to dive into first? Kona, Chicago. What what do you want to hit? Uh, let's go ahead and, and hit Chicago. Uh, you can talk about your side. Um, okay. Let's uh, fill everybody in. <clears throat> okay. So um, I guess like, so I'm not going to, I don't want to spill the beans and, and tell everyone how I did. The goal going into the race though, just so everyone's aware, um, was three hours. And a, a additional bit of background my pr coming into this race for the half is 130 and 10 seconds and i've never done a marathon so this is um all new for me um leading into the race the taper my legs were feeling really good in fact like the, the workouts you were giving me keith like i felt like i was having to hold back but i was still like going a little bit faster than i might have been a couple weeks ago just on tired legs um, just overall, I was feeling good. Um, the Friday prior to the race, I went and picked up my packet. That was a day off from running. Um, I have to drive over to the McCormick Center, which is like the big convention center here in Chicago. Glad it was a day off of running because it was like three or four miles just to walk from the parking to get into the to the expo, pick up your packet, walk to the back of the expo to get your gear check, bag, shirt, etc. It was a, it was crazy. I guess my own personal experience, first marathon, this is a, one of the world major marathons. And, um, yeah, it was, it was extremely uh, like eye opening to see the amount of people that are at a race, a race venue of this scale. It like, I talked to you a little bit afterward. I was like, it seriously makes Ironman look like a small town race. Um, just people everywhere. I was also that, so that was kind of one surprise. I was also surprised at the number of people that were buying shoes at the expo, like 
looking like they were actually trying to buy like race shoes, like running shoes. Like I don't know if all the people packed their bags, got to Chicago and maybe forgot them. Um, but I was very surprised at that. Um, maybe I'm missing something there. They were like special edition shoes. I have no idea, but there was a lot of people walking around and buying shoes at the expo. I got in and got out as quickly as I could just to get back home. Um, Saturday comes around, you know, had a quick shakeout run, but honestly, the day before the race, I wasn't really feeling good. And, um, like it wasn't like a, a body issue. I could easily tell it was just, it felt like a head cold, um, headache, tired, fuzzy, just not like a hundred percent and, um, was able to get the shakeout run in. So that's kind of how I knew it was just more of a head issue than it was like a body issue because heart rate run paces, everything, um, felt fine during the run, but, but still just didn't feel great. So I was certainly glad the race wasn't on Saturday. Um, and it was, it was on Sunday. So anyway, went to bed as early as I could got up Sunday, probably like three 30 in the morning, started making my pancake breakfast, had my coffee. And it was pretty much a little bit after finishing breakfast, got changed. We were heading downtown by 5. AM super cool to be able to do Chicago hometown race leave your house at 5 a.m., go do a world major marathon. So definitely something um, that I enjoyed just having the privilege of being able to do it relatively in my own backyard. Got downtown through the security at the race venue all by 6.20. Um, corrals closed for the crowd I was in at 7.20. So I had about an hour of time to continue just I, I, I would say warm up, but I didn't do any type of warm up before the race other than like a little bit of brisk walking, use the restroom, uh, three times. There's plenty of, plenty of porta potties, as long as you probably tried to use the restroom before 7am, which is really when I could tell that the whole race venue grant park was just stuffed full of people packed. Like, like the porta potty lines got ridiculous. There were people peeing on bushes. Um, it's pretty wild, I guess. That's what, that's what you do at marathons again, first timer. So I didn't know that. Uh, but next time I'll be more prepared and ready to pee on a bush. Um, so anyway, I got, I got to my corral at seven ten. they closed at seven 20. The race starts at seven 30. I'm in corral C and I actually, it only took eight minutes for them, for me to get to the front of the line. So gun goes off eight minutes. I'm there now. Now I'm running. Um, I know in our last conversation, Keith, I outlined a whole bunch of things that, um, I had hoped to accomplish in this race. Like, Hey, what was my race plan? And I'm just going to quickly kind of go through those. For, so for those that didn't listen there, um, the first thing I want to do is start slow, maybe even a second or two below pace. So maybe 650, 652 and get through the first 5k, just a little bit over goal. Um, I wanted to run with others only when their pace fit mine. Right. So kind of run my own race. I never wanted to go faster than 640 a mile. So like, Hey, that's my upper limit. And anything faster than that was going to be like out of my comfort zone. And I wanted the half goal to be, you know, maybe 129, a little over 129 bank sometime. We talked about that um, and try to, as possible, as much as possible, evenly split the race, right? That's what we talked about, coach. And I thought that was a good plan going into it. So um, I was telling myself those, those tips, those points for the several days leading into the race. Okay. So let's get into the details. So let me open it up. My first 5k and I'll just break down the 5k, uh, Keith, I think you have more detail open available to you. If you kind of want to, um, 
share that or ask questions on that, but it is really hard to gauge your effort in a, in a big race, in any race. Cause I don't race that much, but in a big race like this, uh, my first 5k was in 2031. So that's the average pace of 636. So not only did I go faster than 640, not only did I not start slow, I pretty much broke every single rule in the first 5k. And it was, it was, that's not good. Um, my watch, everyone said the, your watch isn't going to work that well. Mine was actually working really well. I have the new Garmin 955, which has like the dual band GPS. It was off a little bit the first mile, maybe less the second, but by 5k, my 5k mark was like right on the point. So I don't think I had that much of an issue, but I only realized that once I got to the 5k point and my watch was, was similar. And then I was like, oh crap, I was really running way too fast at the start of the race. Yeah, your first nine miles were all under 640, except for mile three. Yeah. So, oops. Pretty hot yeah. start. It was a hot start. And so, some of the details within the race are like, um, I'm starting to see there's no pacer for the three hour group there. So, I, I kind of have to like find my own group. And I, I like, I kind of, I'm not the, probably the greatest pacer individually running my by myself unless i'm in clear open skies where i I know my watch is going to be dialed in so i was kind of running with groups of people that i thought were running the right pace for what i was trying to trying to do around three hours um but it was probably within a mile and a half i passed someone so there's official pacers that have like those signs right they're holding them up and then i think there's like these unofficial pacers that have these like signs on their backs they're like Nike run club pacers or something along those lines. I, I'm not honestly entirely sure. Uh, I passed one that said 305 and I talked to him for like 10 seconds. I was like, were you in Corral B? You said 305. He's like, yeah, but I'm, I'm planning to start really slow and uh, I'm just going to ease into things. I was like, okay, so I'm not going to run with him. Like I thought, if, hey, if I already caught this guy, like let me talk with him. What's he, what's he thinking? He was already starting ahead of me. So let me try to calibrate what I'm running based off of what he's trying to do. Um, that didn't work. So I could tell, okay, let me continue to move up. It, it was probably like, I don't know, at the 4k mark, I caught up to someone again, like one of those Nike run club pace numbers on their back. And he had a three hour pace on his back and it felt and looked like the right pace. So I, I didn't actually end up talking to him because he had two other people or three other people around him. He wasn't again, a, an official pacer. So the group was really small, but it looked and felt like the right pace. So I knew I went out too fast by the time we crossed the 5k mark. That's when I really knew, but I was with this person, this group, and it looked like everyone was trying to go around three hour marathon pace. So it was probably about the 4k point where I decided I'm going to slow down. I'm going to stay with this person. And that's honestly what I did from the 4K point all the way to the half marathon. I was with that group. And it was probably like, I don't know why I did it because, okay, let's go back. Am I running my own uh, to one of the rules? I've already broken all of them. Am I running my own race? No, I'm running this person's race now. Like, it's so stupid when I look back at it. Uh, what was I doing? I don't have a really clean answer for you. But it was easy. It felt like that was the other part of it is like it, the effort felt like what I thought the effort should feel like. And, um, and race. yeah, I felt like, hey, you know, it's, it's really cool. The weather is perfect. Um, it's not that windy. There's some gusts, but it's not really a significant factor. It's cool. Um, and like 
yeah, if you're going to have a day, go have a day. That's kind of what I told myself. I'm going a little fast, but like, if you're going to have a day, go have a day and um, go a little fast, whatever, you know, bank a little extra time. Perhaps I, I had no idea what the half the result was going to look like. Um, I thought we were going to be somewhat close or I, I knew I was going to be a little bit faster than the 129 plan, but I didn't know ultimately what it's going to land at. Um, so anyway, I'll continue to kind of shed some results here for everybody. The 10K, so the next 5K was in 2046, so 15 seconds slower than the first. But again, a 642 average, so really close to what I was saying I want my max to be. Uh, the next 5K, 2033, pretty much right back down to where we started. And then the next 5K in 21 minutes. So like rather consistent running, not like crazy all over the place, but pretty pretty closely consistent. Throughout that whole first 20K, my... Nutrition was right where I wanted it to be. I did drop a gel right around like the, four, the the second gel I had around the 40, 45 minute mark. And I turned around and picked it up because I was like, I didn't have an, a spare gel on me to to go back. So I picked it up and then bridged back up to the to the small group I was running with. They maybe got four or five seconds ahead of me. Um, nutrition or excuse me, hydration. Every single aid station, I was picking up a glass of water, a cup of water and getting as much of it down as they possibly could. And that was working well for me, um, at least up to this point in the race. Uh, and then we crossed the half at 127.30. So that is by far a PR. And if I probably went out and ran a half by itself, like I don't know if I would have intentionally paced it a whole lot faster, honestly. So that's, that's problems. Um, it was somewhere between, or right, probably around the 20K point where I started to, could tell that my legs were feeling tired and I needed to back off. And it was fun. It's also again, funny. Cause I said, no, I'm not, I'm going to stay with this group as long as I can until like, I really feel like I need to back off and we're close to the half. So I'm going to stay with this small group of people I'm running with. Um, so I went past the half point still with the same, uh, I'll, I'll start now using air quotes, three hour pacer because the whole time we were going pretty pretty good pace above faster than that. Um, the 25 K mark. So, um, the next five K or sorry, now that now we're looking at four K, uh, is seventeen twenty six or seven twelve pace. It was between, it was probably around mile 14. Um, we went past the half. I pushed a little bit further, went through an aid station. I got a little disconnected from that three hour pacer I was with. And I decided like I need to kind of slow it down seven, seven, 15 pace. Let me catch, let me catch my breath. Let my legs reset. And I knew now I was way ahead of schedule. Like all I have to do is run seven minute pace, seven Oh five, seven ten. I think I calculated my head. Like I should still be fine and I will still hit my goal. So like, I'm going to start to use some of that time that I banked. Um, so that, so that next, okay, that's kind of what I had thought I would be doing. Um, but then I was just, I was surprised. I wouldn't call this hitting the wall, um, but I was surprised at how quickly my legs decided, okay, you've, you've overdone it. And we're going to now say, you're not going to go faster than eight minute pace. And I did that for a mile, mile and a half. And then they're like, yeah, actually look, we're going to change our mind. We're not going to let you go faster than eight thirty pace and nine minute pace. And, um, and that like, I don't, know if that is hitting the wall but what i would say is that as my body just because cardiovascularly cardiovascularly 
um, nutrition, everything else felt fine other than my quads just saying, no, this is as much effort and energy that we're willing to propel your body forward with, and we're slowing you down. And that's pretty much what happened from somewhere between 25 and 30 K mark all the way to the finish. It was probably just a progressive continuation of, of, or deceleration of my pace throughout the entire race. So, um, other details that are, that are probably quite relevant. Um, the whole first half, again, every aid station grabbing water, the second half, as I'm slowing down and I'm spending more time in the aid station, I was grabbing four, five, six cups of water at every aid station. And they were going down, not causing any issues to the gut. And I was still thirsty. I was still thirsty. So I don't think hydration played a factor in my overall race result, but it is something for me to learn for the future that I think if I was able to maintain pace, hydration probably would have been an issue. Um, I was able to make up for it though, because I started to slow down. Um, nutrition wise, no issues there. I felt like I had plenty of energy. My body was just saying enough's enough. Uh, came across the finish line in three hours, 25 minutes in 21 seconds. So when people ask, hey, did you have fun? How was it? I I guess my, my initial response is I absolutely had fun. Um, it was a great race, an awesome amount of, um, spectators and support on the course. So do it if you get the chance. And, uh, and I would say it was a half decent race because like, I'm very happy with how I ran in the first half. I clearly overdid it. And like, I should have, it's, it's just, it's, it's kind of comical, right? Because like I talk about, Hey, I've been doing endurance sports for 13, 14, 15 years and triathlon, all this experience. And then I come out and I run a race. Like I'm happy with the first half. I hate the back half, but, um, I guess this is just how, this is how sport goes. This is how triathlon goes. This is how marathon running goes apparently for me. And, uh, you live and you learn there's good parts, there's bad parts. And the person that can, you know, really maximize the the good and minimize the bad is the person that comes out the victor. You know, it wasn't not exactly not exactly the result I wanted, um, but a PR and a half it's hard to complain. Yeah, I mean, I think it sounds like it wasn't nutrition. You know, maybe you went in a little dehydrated if you were thirsty toward the end. Um, but yeah, I think that just next time, you know, we've learned a little bit more about pacing. Um, I think from a training perspective, like what the one thing I'd like to do is get you a couple more, like really big runs. Um, so, you know, like a two plus hours, a couple more times, um, and probably practice like working into it a little bit more. Um, but yeah, the last you were, you were actually doing okay, you know, and, and you're looking at your splits while listening to your race report, like you were, you were right there and even when you start to fade around 17, 18, it's not that bad, but then you jump from mile 20 is eight nineteen to ten Oh six. So that's like yeah. where it falls off going from 20 to 21. Um, yeah. and if those had just stayed eights, I mean, if you think the last six miles were all 10 plus, then, uh, suddenly you're at like three Oh eight or three ten, yeah. right. Cause they were all between 10 and 11. Um, it became like a walk 
wrong. Like the quads just said you did too much and it was my own fault. Like I just pushed too hard. It's, and it's wild. Cause it, I was surprised at how quickly it happened. Like your, my body said no more, no more 650, no more 640 pace. We're done. You can do eight. You can do, you can do seven. You can do eight. You can do nine. Uh, but it like, it was faster than I thought it was going to be like in my head going into the race, I thought I was going to have more physical cues that I would feel before that happened, before my body changed the pace for me. But I, there wasn't as many as I thought. And my legs are screaming today. So like today or two days post it's worse today than it was yesterday. So the Dom's is in full effect. There's nothing more I could have done. Like my legs, it was, that was it. That's all the quads had. And, um, I wish, I wish it was a different result. And I sincerely think it would have been if I would have had a pacer, I knew from the start was going to pace it closer to even at three hours. So I know I have to have a three hour pacer because I'm not smart enough to figure it out on my own. Yeah. Now we know for next time. Yeah. Yeah. But that's good. I think that's still a 325 is not a, a not a bad first marathon. So I think you can be happy with that. I'm I'm happy with it. Like I'm I'm like I don't race that much. So I'm like really happy with the half because like I want to demonstrate to myself like I have the speed to run three hours. And I felt like I was holding back at 127.30. So like 127, easily achievable. 126. That's probably the upper limit, right? Is probably what I think. And that's probably the right type of pace you need if you even want to be thinking about three hours. Maybe that's even a little slow, but like, um, like I'm close. I know I'm close. I just have to not run like an idiot. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Like if you can help me not be an idiot, then that'd be great. So I don't know. Uh, I like, I love, I love everything about it. And um, like, you know, I can't wait to get back into running, but. I, you know, Hey, what's next for me? What I'm most excited about now that the marathon is over is just jumping back on the bike and now using this huge, like base of volume and endurance that I have to see like, how's that going to push my bike fitness and also future run fitness. But like right now, I'm just excited to be on the, to get back to the bike and see what that does. Yeah. And to renew your pool membership. Not that excited about that. No, thanks. All right. So, uh, do we want to switch gears and, and talk about the first Kona in quite a while? Yeah. So looking at the women start there. Yeah. So the women raced on through. Thursday, they started us I, off and they put on a hell of a show. Watch a lot of it, unfortunately. Uh, did you get to catch some of the, it sounded like based on the, the text you were sending me, you were watching the women's race and not, not working or anything. <laughs> I was definitely working. I had, I had the women's race going on. Um, like maybe like the first question I'd love to chat on is like, what about, did you like that the women's and men's race was split and that, and that the women's race is on Thursday and the men's race is on Saturday. And I understanding the, the Ironman world championship has always been on a Saturday, different Saturdays in the month of October, but now it's always the second Saturday. And, um, and now the women were moved to Thursday. Like, what's your whole feeling on all that? I like that they're separate because of the, like the women can be highlighted, but 
I didn't like that I couldn't watch it either, you know, um, because it was a Thursday. I didn't really catch anything. I was checking the splits every once in a while on the tracker. Um, I was able to watch a little bit of highlights after that. Um, but I literally turned it on when Chelsea Sidara was at like mile 25 and a half on the run and it was basically over. So um, yeah. I didn't really like that. I don't know, you know, it's especially being in the U S like we're probably in the, the best spot as far as um, like a time zone, right. To watch Kona based on when it starts. But then I don't know what it's like. Do you, if Europeans are excited about it and they stay up in the middle of the night, you know, to watch it or not. Um, so that would kind of be the next question. I think it'd be interesting to get the perspective of somebody that lives six or seven time zones east of us and, and know, you know, were they able to watch it? Is it better that the women are finishing at, you know, whatever it is, 4 a.m. their time on a Friday? Would you get up and watch? I wonder if people are actually watching it live or are they watching right. it and replaying highlights? I did yeah. watch it, but then I would have to take two hours and do something else. And I'd come back and watch for 30 minutes, get caught up, go do something else for a couple hours. That's kind of how I approach it. I, I guess I, there's no way I'm sitting around watching a full eight hours of people race. But what I did like about it is I completely highlighted the women's field in a way I've never seen a race highlight the women's field. So I, I guess like the PTO, they completely separate the races quite a lot all the time and that's good it was really cool though to see iron man do that and be able to do that i think it would make more sense to have it on a front like have it saturday sunday type of situation have it both on the weekend so there's never any conflict you get more people to tune in um virtually watch it online watch it on tv whatever, whatever they might be doing i also understand though there's no way for them to do these races on back-to-back days like they they, they can't restock the aid station get all the bikes out, get new bikes in. There's no way. So it has to kind of have that day stagger. Also probably Hawaii likes it that they can book up those room rates in Kona for a longer period of time. Um, get people to stay longer, except like lots of reasons. They'll never be back to back days. I think for people watching it, though, it would be easier. Um, but nonetheless, I thought it was really good that they were separate and highlighted the women's field, the dynamics, everything that was going on. Like, it's it's never been that exciting to watch. Yeah. Um, no, I, I agree with that. Um, and maybe this is the, like just one other aside that's not really related to, it's related to the separate days, but I've heard some people discuss, you know, how they feel like um, now that there's separate days, how much easier it is to qualify, that that's kind of taking some of the the shine off qualifying for Kona. Do you think that that's, do you feel that way? I don't know if that's accurate or, or not. Um, or do you mean like for the professionals to qualify? There's more pro slots. There's, or are you talking more specifically age group slots? On the age group side, a lot of the Ironmans now, they've got their 100 slots, but then they have an extra 100 women's slots because they're trying to fill the women's because they don't think they're going to be able to fill the a day of just women without three years of deferrals. Yeah. I don't know how much or how accurate that is i think it's still like if you think of endurance sports like an event that you want to qualify for i'm sure there are so the second i say this like people are gonna be like you're wrong michael but like how many more events are more difficult to qualify for than iron man there's not a lot it's even if there are more because you have to you have to be arguably world class in three different sports 
it's hard enough to just be competent. Um, it's significantly harder than Boston. It's, it's, it's so difficult. I like, I think if it got a little easier, is that a bad thing? Like the allure of qualifying for Kona is still quite, it's still quite impressive. And even if it got, you know, a little easier, I think it's still exceptionally difficult. Yeah, for sure. You know, just, um, you know, like there were some of the races that, that were happening last year. I was kind of looking through results because I, I, I like to look at our age group just to kind of see. And there were some races where guys were qualifying for Kona finishing in the 20s, you know, in their age group. And normally it's like five, six, seven is a lot of spots. Um, so it does make it, it made it a lot different, I think, getting getting into this Kona. Um, but I am interested to see how the dynamic shifts next year, if it's going to continue to be, you know, quote, easy. It's still not easy, like you said, but it'll be kind of interesting to see how easy it is. Um, and then since a lot of the races, there's, you know, a lopsided proportion of men to women, I, I am interested to see if there, if there are races without that go without giving away all of the women's spots. I think that's an interesting or fair point. It'll also be interesting, though, to see how everything shapes up like pay in a post COVID world. Right. I think there were some races that had less spots and others got bonus spots just because, Hey, they, they kind of changed this format rather late in the, in the cycle. Um, but now that I think the go forward plan is always to be a Thursday, Saturday split type of event. They can more perhaps evenly distribute those bonus slots across all the races. Um, at least that's my understanding of the situation. Um, so right. I think let's see, let's see how things settle out over the next couple of years. There maybe were some races that were easy because, Hey, they got bonus slots a little bit later, but that might not be the case going forward. Right. Yeah. And I think that's what happened. And I'm interested to kind of look at the, the breakdown. I haven't looked at all of the qualifiers for next year, uh, but I am interested to kind of see how, how they, they split up the spots um, because that'll be, that'll be interesting to see. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, a lot of the races with extra extra women spots, so um, to kind of fill those the uh, that whole day of women. So I, I pulled it up right now just for reference. So like uh, Ironman Chattanooga, that was just a couple weeks ago, had fifty five standard slots plus one hundred extra women slots. So in theory, the women got at least one hundred eleven spots in that race, whereas the men got. 44 or less. Yeah. So, um, that'll be something to kind of keep an eye on. Yeah. I mean, there, it, it's probably just one way to try and get more women interested in the sport. Um, that's a lot of slots for one race. Yeah. That's a lot of slots. Okay. Right, so yeah. you want to uh, jump into the race? Yeah. Let's talk about the race. Um, obviously, I was super impressed. We had now have an American champion. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, 26 years, I think. And uh, it's not, we didn't it's even great. talk about her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I, think, talk about I think if you, if you look on my notes, she might've been one of the, the people that I was thinking about. And then I didn't talk about it because uh, I thought a uh, second Ironman um, probably going to take a year to, to kind of learn some things. Um, and then, yeah. And then she goes and, and wins and it was great to see, uh, see her do it. Great. A great run two fifty one. Um, she had the fastest run by more than six minutes. And so, um, 
it'll be it'll be fun to see where she goes just kind of the next year or two um as she gets a little bit better because she has only done one Ironman before this and yeah she's obviously starting to figure it out pretty fast yeah i mean i think you have to look at her with and we're talking we say her chelsea sadaro Ironman world champion um she's she's the best runner in the sport right now and clearly the best performance like into in the best individual obviously triathlon's individual performance um but like the best performance that maybe we've ever seen at the Ironman world championships just 251 44 that's incredible um and a strong swim six fastest swim a strong bike um and past lucy like it was probably within the first 5k that she was passing lucy and like her form the speed at which she passed her made her look like she was standing still and her form never changed from the first 5k to the last 5k when i was running the marathon this last weekend in my head i'm i'm serious this is not like hyperbole i was saying run like chelsea run like chelsea like keep the same form just be smooth be consistent i didn't do that like that's how, like clearly I didn't do that, um, but that's like what I was saying after watching her performance the Thursday prior. Yeah, that that was really impressive. Um, but I, I'm almost equally impressed with Lucy coming in second. Uh, just after the long layoff, I know that we got to see her at the U.S. Open and she showed that she was fit um, there and in Shamarin. But um, I'm still a little surprised that she got second. I thought that maybe she was going to to fade a little bit more um on the run but i guess you know with the injury that she had she was probably able to swim and bike i don't want to say normally but probably a, a pretty good amount that those two were going to be strong enough that it came down to just holding it together on the run um because you know an ironman marathon is so much different than an open marathon you're not really going that fast you know relative to your ability so i think for you know a lot of the pros especially like they don't generally run quite as high volume as you know we probably think that they do um, and a lot of that's just because of the the nature of the race is more the endurance side slow and steady than than running really really fast so uh, for her to run 302 she saw the fifth fastest run i was expecting i thought maybe she was going to run 310 uh, but the way that she swam and biked that still would have gotten her third so um it was a great day for her yeah yeah, I thought that's it's it's probably painful though. I thought it was a great day for her. She's got to, and she was excited when she crossed the line, but it was the third or fourth time crossing the line in second. Like that's got to get old. And I do think eventually she will have her day, and that'll probably be a very exciting moment to see because just because of the number of times she's been on the podium and she's been second on that podium, so like she's excited. I'm sure she's probably frustrated in the same token, um, but. Yeah, considering everything she's been through, it's hard to complain. Hard to complain. Um, and then I think another theme that we saw on the women's side too is when you look at the the top ten, there's only two women born in the '90s, and I just was thinking about how drastically different that is, kind of than the men's race. Um, yeah, where the men are are really young, so I think that on the women's side, I'm it's interested to see kind of what happens the next few years because you know uh and lisa norton they're they're getting older right and so i'm interested to see how long they're going to stay 
towards the top. Um, even Daniela isn't super young. She's 35 now. So uh, what did you make of her race running 323? Did she overbike or? Yeah, I mean, that's she She ended up saying that in an interview I saw of her in one of the highlights. So um, I think like in our heads and even the announcers for the bits of the bike that I was watching, everyone's like, okay, eventually Danielle is going to put the hammer down like she did in St. George. And she just biked away from her, but you know, like came off the bike with like 10 or 15 minutes um, from Cat Matthews. And that just didn't happen here because for whatever reason, right. Heat, fitness, competition, course, whatever. Um, but there was that moment when they were coming back post the turnaround in high V and she did put in that effort to try to separate herself. Um, and Annie was on her wheel, right? Like she was on her wheel, legal, legal distance. Um, but she said she knew if she came in with Annie on her wheel, like that that wasn't going to be good for her. So she knew she had to kind of give it a stronger effort on the bike heading back. So that's what she did. She did create some separation, um, from her and Annie. Um, but it just, it wasn't enough. She didn't, she didn't bridge all the way up to the front or she did bridge all the way up to the front of the race, but, but, but not by a significant margin. Um, she didn't separate herself from the field like she did in St. George. And when it came time to the, to the run, um, she, didn't have anything left in the tank and that 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 shows in the result i think it's still a valiant effort like if you want to be the world champion you got to take some risks we're used to seeing her always perform at like hey that that gold level the champion level um it's still an incredible performance but um she she gave it her shot she just didn't have it on the day yeah um so since you got to watch it too in person or you know you were watching some of the stream what did you make of all the penalties on the bike I wasn't really able to see. Um, I didn't actually even see, they didn't show any of the penalties on the bike for the women. And I didn't want, I didn't didn't really watch much of the men's. We'll we'll go there and talk about that soon. Um, But there were significant amount of penalties on the bike. There were two in the top five, Laura Phillip, Lisa Norton, both had penalties. Both were with the the main group of bikers heading out. And I think like when you just look at the field of women, like there was a big group of women that came out from, well, certainly Lucy came out at 51 minutes, just about she was joined or she had some people within 45 seconds of her behind her. But then there was a lot of females between that 44, 45 and 40, or excuse me, not 44, 40, uh, 55 and 58 minute range, a bunch of people. So the pack of women, um, I, I don't think you see a lot of races with packs of women on the bike. And uh, like, I, I don't know if it was that, Hey, they're, they're just pushing the boundaries of what's legal or what's not legal. But I do think it was maybe just unfamiliarity with how close they're riding, just the number of women that were in that pack and the officials were handing out penalties. We saw it on the men's race too. It wasn't, Hey, this is a world championship. I don't think that the officials should be giving them a whole lot of grace. Um, but it also sucks when it completely destroys your chance of potentially being on the podium. Laura Phillip, you take five minutes off her time. She's not on the podium. So you, you could argue that it didn't impact her race. But she was in the main pack of racers on the bike when she got that penalty. So was Lisa Norton. I think she was. She had made her way to the front of the pack when she 
ended up at the penalty tent. I have no idea where before the penalty tent she actually got her penalty. So maybe she was just pushing herself to get to that penalty tent because she knew she had to sit out. Again, interesting dynamics that might be at play there, but they're not with the pack anymore. So they they both ended up biking. Uh, maybe they ended up biking with other people. I'm not sure, but they're not with the main pack that they were with, and it probably completely throws them off their game. Yeah, I think Sarah Crowley did. She she got a penalty too. Sarah she Crowley was seven. Penalty too. Yeah. So kind of a tough day. I mean, and pretty amazing to kind of see them fight through that. Um, just kind of looking at the splits, I was trying to figure out um, where they served their penalties. I've I've been trying to figure that out. I've been you know, trying Googling where were the penalty tents. And I don't really know um, that I've seen where they served them. Um, because if you There's took one on the minutes, way out, there was one at the turnaround. Those are the only two that I saw where people were serving it. Well, there was obviously one right before town. So if we take five minutes off their rides, then they were yeah. pretty much faster than everybody except for Daniela on the bike. Um, and I mean, the other thing too, is it's, it's also not a, a cut and dry five minutes, right? It's, it's really a five minute penalty and an Ironman is probably more like six minutes when you take the time to decelerate and accelerate, plus get into the tent, give them your name, you know, and then your five minutes starts and then you have to leave the tent, get on your bike. Like there's, um, it is a little bit more than that too. So, um, yeah, penalties are tough, but I guess, you know, it's good to kind of see them handing those out uh, i think i would rather see them switch to the the longer drafts of of challenge though you know something or or like the pto has the 20 meters yeah i i think it makes more sense to make the professional race more difficult to qualify for i don't know if that's a good or a bad idea like if you know you're a former professional triathlete but to have 40 people at the championship when the course gets that crowded is is that the right answer um, you have a lot of people in there that I know they're trying to make a living, but they're not likely going to make the podium. They're not, well, not podium, but they're not top 10 contenders. Like, should they thin the field out? Should they extend the draft zone? Um, I'm not sure, but we, we can talk about drafting on the men's side. We will talk about drafting on the men's side. Cause there were penalties there as well. And there were some, there was a controversial penalty on that end where you also had the bikers. Um, the motos get got in the way and then someone else gets the penalty for it because they ended up inadvertently passing on the right. Like there's interesting dynamics at play. They need yeah, to figure something sure. out. Um, I would like to see the longer draft zone. Um, you know, watching it, watching the, the PTO event here in person and the way that they spread themselves out, that was really interesting because it was similar to the men's race here where there were 20 guys coming out of the water together. Um, and they were kind of able to naturally find their places. Um, I think that my, my solution for it, which may open up different cans of worms all over is if you allow the 20 meter draft zone, but, um, I don't, I think maybe a lot of age groupers don't know this, but you know, in an age group triathlon, you can kind of slipstream past somebody so you can ride in their draft up until you pass them and then move over. But the pros have to move over before they pass before they enter the draft zone, right? So you have to move to the left before you're within the 10 meters or the 20 meters. Um, and then you have to be all the way past them before you can move back over. Maybe we extend the draft zone to 20 meters, but allow guys to pass without having to move to the outside uh, to kind of help keep the spacing 
issues away, you know, allow guys to slot in at 20 meters as long as they don't, you know, sit within 20 meters too long, uh, something like that. Uh, that way they're spread out. And I think that even if they get to slipstream pass, then it, it still allows for a slightly more fair race because they are spread out the whole time. Uh, the only negative you can see from that is maybe guys using the slipstream pass to work together. That and what's the bigger, so they could use the slipstream to their advantage with the bigger draft zone, make it with the same rules apply about, Hey, if you pass one person and that there's not enough space for you to slot in, you got to pass more. So it makes passing more difficult. Right. It could. So but like if you, it's already, I think that's the issue with these big groups is you might have people that want to pass and go to the front, but they're just not willing to pass all the guys to do that or all the, all the, all the women to do that. So if you're allowed to slipstream pass, it'll make it easier because you can slot in and use the, uh, oh. use the drag to pass. Yeah. That's a fair point. All right. So any other thoughts on the women's race or do you want to move on to the men? Uh, I did throw out and I'll just point these out. Cause I feel like, Hey, why not? Um, I did say Sky Monch would have a worse performance in St. George. That was, I mean, not entirely fair because she was fourth, but I was right. I did say Annie would just run out of time. And I think I was kind of right there, even though she was on the podium. She was catching Lucy, though, at the end of the race. That was pretty exciting to like, see. It was clear a couple miles out that Lucy was going to hold on. Um, but it was just like that whole, you know, 10 miles out. Is Annie going to make a move? Is she going to have enough time? She was closing the gap but it just wasn't quick enough. And I did say Sarah true is going to DNF, but, um, it was cause she was sick. She said she was sick a couple days before she had to pull out. She had a really good swim though. And she was hanging in there on the bike up until the point where she ended up taking herself out. So I was kind of impressed um, by Sarah true's performance, just being in the mix, being in the big pack. And I was like, Oh wow. She's, she's there. Um, it'll be interesting to see her in another Ironman coming up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure she's going to want to jump in here at the end of the year and get her ticket punch yeah. for next year. And she can do it. Yeah. Um, we made picks. I had Daniela, Lucy and Laura Phillip. You had Daniela, Annie Hogg and Lisa Norton. So yep. let's just let the record be known that I won on the women's field. points. <laughs> yeah. The record be known. It was very close. Just a couple points. <laughs> It was. I mean, we were both had reasonably good picks, right? I had eighth, yeah. second, fourth. You had eighth, third, and fifth. So yeah, that's nobody had close. Yeah, no one really did poorly from that group. Uh, no. It's a little bit different, though, on the men's side. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so, so let's talk about that. Yeah, the men, we saw a really big group uh, come out of the water together. It was about 20 guys, and they stayed together for quite a while. Um, and then it, it broke up maybe into two or three different groups. There was Sam Laidlow off the front, and then there were two or three smaller groups that seemed to form after that on the bike. Um, but Sam Laidlow, bike course record, 404.35. Um, that's pretty amazing out there. Um, and then I think we all knew it was going to happen eventually. If you were watching the coverage, uh, Gustav and Christian, they kind of just looked like they were out for a jog really all day. Um, and then Christian kind of I mean, seemed like he, Christian didn't look, yeah, he didn't look quite he like look as, as comfortable as Gustav. Yeah. Um, but Gustav with a run course record, 
And an overall record, he went 236-14 on the run and 740-23 on the day. Um, I can't wait to see if somebody could give him a race and make him run a little faster because kind of the way he came in, I, I think he just timed it so that he made the catch pretty late. Um, but it seemed like he could probably go a little faster if he needed to. Yeah. It's an incredible performance. Um, yeah, I think he was just, he was, he looked more like he was out for a jog. Christian came across the line and had to be carted out of the finish on a board. Um, so yeah, I agree. I think Gustav is in a whole different realm than even Christian and Christian makes, makes a lot of people, uh, look pedestrian. So I think both of them came in with high expectations. They both performed right up to them. It was interesting. Like all the media that I saw seemed to think, or it looked to me that people were picking Christian more than Gustav. Yeah. Uh, did you kind of get that feeling? I yeah, did. I, I feel like, well, well he, he, he won in St. George, but Gustav wasn't there. They, they haven't raced each other in the last handful of years that I'm aware of really. Yeah. Not, uh, not really. I, I mean, because 70.3 worlds, Christian got a flat, right. They did different Ironmans last fall. Gustav didn't race in, the St. George world championship this spring. So we haven't really seen, uh, seen them go head to head. And I was really hoping we were going to get some epic, uh, you know, last mile ever, you know, two guys trying to kill each other, but, um, yeah, it was still, still pretty exciting to, to see them run together for, you know, 20 plus miles. I think eventually we will get that. Um, we just didn't, we just didn't get it yet. Um, I, I was super impressed by Sam Laidlow. Um, even though with all the drama he had with Sam Long, I'm not his biggest fan. I'll be the first to admit it. So I'm not necessarily thrilled um, that Laidlow performed as well as he did. But I am super impressed with the swim-bike combination and then maintain a, a really strong and respectable run, too. Like, there were points at the race when you weren't sure if Gustav was going to put in the effort to bridge up to Sam Laidlow. Yeah. Like, if Sam could win this. Like, that's that was, you know, with 10 miles to go, a legitimate thought like the, this race was his to lose. Um, he unfortunately just had a couple guys behind him or really, excuse me, one guy behind him. That was just significantly faster. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it, it was really impressive. And, um, I mean, under the course record, the first three guys, four guys all broke the course record from before. Um, yeah. Like there's like seven or eight of the fastest 10 times were here. Yeah. I mean, 10 guys, yeah, it's, just wild. Hours. it's crazy. Um, cause I mean, yeah. uh, Craig Alexander set the record at eight Oh three, I think in 2011. And then that stood until 2017, I think was the year that, that that was broken. Um, and you know, now you go out there and, and there's 13 guys under eight Oh three this past weekend. That's so crazy. Like, is that, was that the, wild. Is it a, a combination or entirely uh, weather or athlete and the development of some of these young, I would say, future stars of the sport, like like Christian, Sam, and Gustav? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. And I think there's obviously some bike technology that's kind of helped too. Um, but I also think the biggest thing from this past weekend was – that there was just a huge group of guys coming out of the water. And I think that that makes the bike faster, you know, cause usually it's a little bit more spread out 
at the pointy end and guys are kind of working, you know, in small groups, but to have 20 guys out of the water together, I think that kind of put, you know, that, that changed the dynamic of the bike quite a bit. Um, yeah. And guys are learning how to run, you know, it's, it's that's, kind of interesting. It seemed like, you know, there's that period where the bike was kind of the way to go in the two thousands. Um, and then, you know, Craig Alexander kind of tried to turn it into a runner's race and it became, you know, the guys that could run and then it kind of became a bike race again. And now guys are figuring out how to make it a bike race and a running race, as opposed to, you know, somebody's winning in previous years, you know, you'd win the race on the bike and hang on, on the run, or you'd kind of hang, hang tough on the bike, keep it close enough and then win it on the run. And now we've got guys that are just racing all day. Like it's an Olympic distance, except that it's, you know, almost eight hours. I mean, it's an interesting comparison to the women's side, right? Like I feel on the men's side, it's the swim is kind of like a, a fitness check. Like, Hey, you gotta be able to at least swim 48, 49 minutes to be in that main pack, to be in contention, right? You're not, you cannot win the race in the men's field with a quick swim or no one has shown that they can do that or be a podium contender strictly off of a strong swim. But then it comes down to that bike run combination and the dynamics there. Whereas like on the women's side, I totally feel that Lucy is able to pretty much secure her top three, top five position with her strong swim. Like she's relatively secure when she comes out of the water in under 51 minutes and the field is coming out of the water closer to, you know, 55 minutes. Yeah. With her strong, I guess, again, she has a strong bike and run combination off the back of it. So she's not entirely giving anything up, but she relatively every single race stays, comes out of the water first and is going to be in the top three at the end of it. And she's not really going to give up a lot of ground. So you can't do that. There's no one doing that on the men's side. Yeah. You can't, uh, you can't really gap the men's field, um, in the swim and then hold on on the bike is the thing. Cause there's going to be a big group of guys chasing. And so we don't really get to see that dynamic, this, the solo breakaway on the bike. Um, yeah. other than, you know, Sam Laidlow was able to get away, but, um, you know, it's, it wasn't because of his swim. It was because he decided to make it happen on the bike. Yeah. Um, who else were you impressed with in the results? Uh, almost everybody in the top 10, to be honest, you know, when you kind of look so at the fast, race, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Max yeah. Newman uh, was a surprise, you know, we, we knew he's pretty strong, but he's also just 27. Um, I was really impressed with Joe Skipper's run, um, going two forty-five and getting his, getting his way up into fifth. Um, he actually really swims cool. terrible. Yeah, like he swims at Lionel pace. No, yeah, he, he doesn't swim as terrible. Bridges up. Oh no, he was with Lionel, right? He swam. Yeah, he was with Lionel. Him and Sebastian yeah. Keenley. Like Lionel was with that group. And uh well, they ended up ending up in the top ten and when and Lionel does didn't. Right. Um and uh Leon Chevalier, that was a great, great race for him. Um I kind of thought that maybe Magnus was gonna hang in there a little bit better, but going seven fifty six in Kona. And ending up eighth, that's you know. he had a penalty. Ah, is that that okay? So I missed yeah. that on the Magnus. Okay. Um, yeah, about Magnus, that. Mignon, and Langa all had penalties. 
So that's where they where they went on the bike. Um, yeah, yeah, I didn't turn the men's race on until a little bit later. And now I remember um, them talking about that after. Um, yeah, but still, to get a penalty and go seven fifty six, that's that's and he, so Magnus served his right at the end of the bike, so he he was able to to spend all the time with the group. He served his right before the run T uh, two. So relatively, I think that's like probably the best spot to serve your penalty and yeah. makes it the most even comparison to take, Hey, take five minutes off his time. He's seven fifty one thirty, And now he's fifth. Yeah. That's a pretty big jump. Yeah. For him. Eight to fifth. Yeah. I mean, a huge jump. It's like, you can very clearly move him five minutes because there was no bike tactics or anything that he lost out on being able to be a part of. Uh, Patrick yeah. served his early on, um, and I'm not sure where the others were served. Florian had a penalty. He served his early. Uh, oh, but hey, while we're talking about it, um, Magnus's penalty, that's kind of the controversial one. So he was being passed, and I forget who it was that was passing him, but reportedly was passed. The other rider passed his front wheel, but was then blocked by the moto. And Ditla passed on the right and didn't yield and let that other rider continue or finish the pass. Never got clear of his front wheel, but front wheel to front wheel, he was passed. Mm. So they gave him a position violation, which was a five-minute penalty. Interesting. That blows my mind that that's what happened. Yeah. And they ended up enforcing the five-minute position penalty. I wonder if we can uh, find that because that's uh... – that's amazing. That that's really unfortunate. That's how it went down, um, man. But that that's too bad. Yeah. We'll have to see if we can find some video of this before uh, for the next. I'd love next to have. The, I'd love to have the video. I haven't seen it, but that's what I've read. Hmm. Yeah, that's too bad. Um, so, do you have any other thoughts on the men's race? Um, well, I do want to go through our picks again. <laughs> oh, man. yeah that's a that was right. a little bit tough so but we we had the same top three goose well yeah actually even the same order gustav christian and magnus um which were all really good picks um so it really kind of came we did an extended podium and it came down to our next two picks ed patrick langa uh and colin chartier and you had Braden curry and Leiferman. Yeah. So, sorry, bud. Yep. Yeah. But, uh, but the record be shown. I won yeah, again. Leiferman ended up 44th and, and, uh, Braden Curry with the DNF. So that, uh, that definitely, definitely hurts. Do we know why he pulled out? Like, do you know? Um, I haven't seen that yet. Um, we'll have to do some, some research. Yeah. I'm not sure either. Um, I, th I was expecting a little bit more out of the American men for sure. Uh, first American was, was Tim O'Donnell in 13th. Um, which so, is a good performance. I mean, uh, I saw a post on his, like, so of, of 10, uh, he, he posted on Instagram, like of 10 times he's done an Ironman world championship where he's had the chance to do it 10 times or some number around there, like eight of those times he's been the top finishing American male. Yeah, that's pretty so impressive. That, I mean, we need we need more men 
but it's pretty impressive that he's been at the top of the American field for that long, that consistently too. Yeah. So it's time for Ben Canute to do an Ironman and move up because I think he's our best chance. Really? I think Sam, Sam Long is our best chance. But he's got to swim a little bit faster. Yeah. Yeah. I think if the dynamics stay this way, Ben Canute is yeah, the guy. You're right. And, and ride. He'll be in the he'll be in the pack. Be there. He'll um, be in the big group off the bike. Yeah. Yep. But so Ben Canute, I know I know you're not listening to this, but it'll get back to you. So move up next year. It's time. That'll be fun. Yeah. Why hasn't he? He was uh determined to make Tokyo, but I'm I'm hoping he's kind of moved on and he's not going to try for for Paris or LA. We don't have really any other hopes. Not yet. I mean, if you think about like if Chelsea can continue, you know, another one or two years of of um, podium contention at the Ironman World Championship level, that'd be really awesome. And then by that point in time, Taylor Nib will hopefully commit to doing Ironman. Uh, it could be a run, uh, at least on the women's side, of of, of American women dominance. I don't think I'm really Nib excited for her to come up. It's gonna be. It's no, gonna be a few years. That's, that's that. Hope, I hope you're dead wrong in that because he's already no said that there's plans to go through LA. There's no. There can't be nearly as much money in this in the draft legal scene as there is going to be for her because if, if she comes up, I think she's a dominant type of athlete. Like I think so too. the money opportunities have to be significantly greater on the long course. Not when she can race all the middle distance races like the PTO events, make a lot of money there, and then she, can she make still it. gets to do that. And the uh, the World Triathlon Series money is pretty good. Plus, she's on USA Triathlon funding, so she doesn't have a lot of costs. So, yeah, right now I think she's pretty comfortable. So, twenty twenty nine, we'll see her. Uh, she'll be thirty one in twenty twenty nine, and we'll see her move up to Ironman. Oh, she has like one of those shiny uh, chrome or whatever trek bikes so i don't even think they sell those so yeah she's she's comfortable yeah um and then uh speaking of taylor did before we wrap up there was a world triathlon championship series event last weekend in cagliari italy and taylor nib did finish on the podium she got third so um george taylor brown got the win emma lombardi from france got second and uh the U.S. went three, four, six on the women's side. Taylor Nib, Taylor Spivey, and Kirsten Casper. Um, on the men's side, we saw Alex Yee and Johnny Brownlee go one, two, and uh, Manol Macias got third. And our first American there was Kevin McDowell in tenth. So World Triathlon Series is back. Super League is over, and uh, a lot of these draft legal athletes now. There's you can you can switch and start watching draft legal now, Michael. Two more two more series races left. Okay. Yeah, I'm tuning in right now. <laughs> All right. So uh, I guess this kind of wraps up the, the Kona. Uh, we have Ironman 70.3 World Championship coming up. It'll be interesting to see how many of those at this race and Kona are going to be at St. George. I think Gustav and Christian both said they want to be there. So that'll be cool. There's going to be a, some fresh athletes like Sam Long. He's going to be there. Um, hope me, hopefully Lucy will make it, but I also don't want her to push herself too much, um, stay yeah. healthy. So it'll be interesting to see in the next couple of weeks, who ends up committing to, to 70.3 worlds. So a little bit more world championship racing to come. 
Um, but pretty much everyone's kind of wrapping it up for the year. So we'll bring you some, some new content around the end of season planning off season, um, things that we're thinking about and want to share with you in some of the next couple episodes. Yeah, we'll be back soon. We'll be back to a, a normal episode with a training topic next time. Yeah. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Thanks everybody. Thanks.